is Actually You Are a Real Runner with Jacqueline Riccio. All right, today on the podcast, I have Brody Sharp, who is a physiotherapist, a runner, and he's from Australia. How are you doing today? Jacqueline, it's a pleasure to be on. I'm doing very well. How are you? I'm great. I'm so excited. I was on your podcast a, a, more than a few months ago. This year is crazy. <laughs> no one knows time anymore. Um, but it's just, I just love connecting and it's just so cool. We're literally on opposite sides of the world. And what time is it where you're at right now? It is now 7.30 a.m. Okay, so I yeah. still got my bed hair and <laughs> um, yeah, just rolled out of bed. <laughs> 3.30 p.m. here. So I'm kind of like finishing up the work day. So yeah, it's crazy. But so I always like to get started and just kind of like hear a little bit more about you personally. And then we're going to talk about some really cool things today. But um, you're a runner and a physiotherapist. How did you get into running? How did you get into physical therapy? Yeah, so um, physical therapy uh, was the the natural step into me, like being quite sporty growing up and um, just constantly being injured. And we call them physiotherapists here, but they're, they're very similar to a physical therapist and um, just loving what they know, loving the uh, the education that they had and what I was learning every time I went to see a physio. So um, yeah, naturally progress into doing that myself. And it was probably about two years into my physio career that I became a runner myself. My oh. sister was training for a half marathon and then uh, wanted, didn't want to do it alone. So recruited me and uh, yeah, I caught the bug and loved it ever since. And since then, when I was running and caught the bug and loved running, I would see running clients, the injured clients at my work, and I just had a heightened passion for treating them and getting them back to running. And I just wanted to talk about their running shoes. What cadence do you have? What are you training for? Like, what goals do you have? And then they would just walk out of the session. I'd just be buzzing because I'm like, I'm helping runners and just realized and recognized that I wanted to spend more time with this population. So since then, uh, years, years later, I've transitioned into um, creating my online clinic where I only see runners and only treat runners. And as a natural extension of that, have started my podcast, the Run Smarter podcast, where I educate runners to make smarter training decisions and to overcome their injuries that they have. And I guess that's a, around the, the topic we're going to discuss today. Yeah, that's awesome. That's so cool to hear. I, I would have just assumed because I have in my head that I'm the only one that started running late in their life and that everyone, <laughs> everyone, and it's not true. And I, all my clients, every, a lot of podcast guests, but like, I just have in my head like, oh, everyone started running in seventh grade and has been <laughs> running for 25 years. So yeah. Wow. That's cool. So yeah, today's topic I'm really excited about, and I wanted to show you, I ran downstairs to get this because you mentioned this book. I listened to a few episodes of yours talking about pain science. It's good for me because I am experiencing pain right now, so I'm really interested in this Ooh. topic. But I have this book. Oh, you have it. Ah. <laughs> the Brain That Changes Itself. Now, what's funny about this is this book has been sitting on my nightstand. I don't think that this is a good book for me to read right before I go to bed because it's like, like I actually have to sit and think about it. This is yeah. not like a nighttime story. But I always have in my head, like, I have this belief about myself that I'm not good at science. So when people talk about science, my brain shuts down and I'll be like, eh, I won't understand that. I don't need to listen to this because I won't be able to understand that, which is like, no, Jacqueline, like that's literally that belief and that thought process is what's blocking you from even attempting to try to understand anything that's happening. So I need to give this book another shot, but let's talk about about pain science. So, um, 
yeah, how what what would you say about pain that maybe people misunderstand or kind of like what 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 would you say? There is a lot of misconceptions around pain, especially when it comes to chronic pain. Um, and we can delve into a whole bunch. Like one would be that um, the pain that people experience, they think that the the intensity of pain reflects or is correlated to the amount of damage that they have. So um, if you have someone who is in severe pain and someone who is in just a little bit of dull pain, they have they think that the person in a lot of pain has more damage, which we know is not true because the magnitude and the intensity that someone experiences is based on so many other factors rather than just the actual physical damage itself. There's a lot of um, things around beliefs and a lot of things around past experiences, expectations, all that sort of thing, which the brain um, tends to calculate and then produce a pain output. And another misconception and a lot of things that people need to understand is that all pain is from the brain. It's not necessarily from the tissues themselves. It's up to the brain to evaluate if it should produce pain. And if it does produce pain, uh, what level of magnitude. And there are tons of studies and tons of examples which can debunk the myth that pain comes from say your finger when you cut it. It doesn't cut the pain doesn't come from the finger. The pain comes from the brain as it processes all the information that it's given. Mm, the pain does not come from the finger. It's coming from the your brain. So you yep. see a cut on your finger and then... Yeah, it's up to the brain to evaluate what's going on. It's uh, The finger sends messages to the brain. So And then the brain just works out what to do. And if I was to explain, say, um, there's a lot of... If someone's in threat or if someone's being harassed or something, or if during like war times, if people are distracted, there's a lot of adrenaline. There's been cases of people being stabbed, like gunshot wounds, like losing fingers and not even feeling any pain. And so that's, you, you've probably seen um, some cases in the past where someone's been attacked and they felt like a bump and then they've, um, it's not minutes later until they've realized they've been stabbed or been hit or been something and they don't recognize it because there's so much adrenaline, so much information process going on. The brain doesn't prioritize that. The brain prioritizes survival first and then they'll experience pain later. And so it's not necessarily, um, it's not necessarily the, um, the signals coming from the body parts or the pain coming from the body parts. It's the brain processing it all and then prioritizing what threat are we under? Do we need to experience pain now in order to survive? But if there's a, if you're running from a tiger, if you're like got a lot of adrenaline, that's probably not the first thing that serves you. The first thing that serves you is probably getting a lot of adrenaline pumping so that you can get away from this situation quickly. Oh, okay. Okay. I'm thinking I would, you just, it reminded me of this. I remember like my philosophy class, like freshman year of college where the philosophy professor was teaching her children to not feel pain. And we thought she was okay. crazy, but it was, it was, she kind of, it was something like this where she's like, sometimes kids will say ouch before something even happens. Like yeah. They're anticipating like, Oh, this is going to hurt. Yeah. And kids like when they fall over, they don't cry straight away. They look around and see everyone's reactions before <laughs> they start crying. And they're like, what should I do? Should I, you know? Um, so yeah, interesting to think that way. If we put it in the context of a runner, which I hope we do a lot today because yeah. everyone's going to be thinking, what the hell is this? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, if we think in terms of runners, because a lot of runners get injured, a lot of runners yeah. get pain, um, we need to recognize that 
if you have chronic pain, um, I think chronic pain is a little bit of a separate topic that's really interesting that we might look into, but um, any sort of pain, recognize that it is the meaning you give it and the belief that you have will reflect the, the output, will reflect how long the pain lasts for, reflect how um, the severity of the damage um, and if you just say, if you start getting knee pain, even if it's only been a couple of days, you need to recognize it's coming from the brain. And if you understand this pain science and understand why you're getting this pain, you can start making steps into um, resolving that pain. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So can you go over the different types of pain? So you said there's chronic pain. Is that persistent? Is that the same? Yeah. So um, I guess if we without getting too sciencey, mm-hmm. you could probably break it down into acute pain and chronic mm-hmm. pain. Okay. Chronic pain is also called persistent pain, but the mm-hmm. acute pain is when there is damage, when the brain does recognize, yes, you have overloaded this joint, you have um, overloaded this tendon, or you have torn this muscle. Um, this is acute pain because there is physical damage. The brain yeah. says, yes, um, there is physical damage. We need to produce pain. Therefore, the brain starts to produce that pain. And this is where the body starts to heal. The tendons start to heal. The muscle heals due to blood flow and all the lovely things that the body does to naturally heal. Um, and that would take anywhere between a couple of days, a couple of weeks, sometimes a couple of months, depending on the blood supply to that injured area. If there's lower blood supply, then it might take a little bit longer and say cartilage or um, li- certain ligaments, they have... Um, a a reduced amount of blood supply, whereas muscles and in most cases, tendons have a richer blood supply and they heal a lot quicker. Then we get through this uh, acute phase. And a lot of times injuries tend to last weeks. They tend to last months. I see a lot of clients have had pain for years and years. Um, And then we start to transition into what we call chronic pain or persistent pain. And that is where it gets really tricky to, overcome because the tissues themselves have been completely healed. There's nothing, there's still, um, everything's healed. There's nothing physically that we can look at to say that, yes, it's damaged, but you are still experiencing pain and whether you're continuously overloading that joint, whether through one reason or another, the brain has, um, evaluated the situation and said, yes, we still need to experience pain for the greater good. And whether that, the way the brain has evaluated that, whether that's helpful or unhelpful, whether it's true or false, it doesn't matter. The brain has decided that it needs to produce pain to that area. And that's where we get into um, the realm of beliefs, past experiences, fear, anxiety, all these emotions that go through where the brain calculates everything that goes on. It, It brings in all this bits of information around what you think that injury is, and then we'll decide whether it needs to produce pain or not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you said that the brain, like if it's pain being good, what do you mean by that? Like, why would? Well, pain would <clears throat> pain would be good if it's um, if if you persist beyond a um, like pain is a natural signal to mm-hmm. get you away from danger. That's yeah. essentially what it's doing. So the brain thinks that when it produces pain, it is getting you out of danger and towards safety. That's like the number one reason it's trying to serve a purpose. And that's what it's thinking it's doing when you have chronic pain. And let's just say you've had knee pain for six months 
and you have determined that um, you knee pain is never going to get better. If I do, if I do stairs, pain will hurt. If I, um, if I go for a run for five kilometers, five miles or something, I will produce pain. This will damage my knee. And then you go to a doctor and the doctor says you have uh, early stages of osteoarthritis. You shouldn't be running. It's, it's going to cause further damage. It's going to do this. You go to a physical therapist and they say, yes, you have early signs of osteoarthritis. Um, you probably shouldn't be running. Um, you probably, it's getting really weak. The structures are getting damaged and all of this is just feeding information and feeding into your beliefs. So the brain processes all this and says, Oh my God, like we're in trouble here. We need to, um, we need to not do all those things because we need to protect the knee. We need to get back into safety. And so every time you go upstairs, the brain says, what the hell are you doing? We shouldn't be doing this. You're going to be damaging your knee. Didn't you hear that doctor before that said that we've got all this damage and then we'll process that pain and deliver that pain to that area. So every time you go upstairs, you deliver pain. But in reality, in most cases, um, let's just say they're a runner in their forties. Every runner in their forties will have early stages of osteoarthritis. And um, that's just a natural part of the body. And really your, your knee would be quite strong and able to handle those stairs. Um, so if they were fed the, the reality or change their beliefs in a certain way, the brain would calm things down and say, actually, we're probably okay to go up some stairs. It's probably not going to do much damage. And we've been doing these knee strengthening exercises for six weeks now. We are strong. We are, we can cut, we can cope through a lot. We can tolerate a lot right now. And if the, the person, if the runner starts processing the information this way, uh, it can calm down the brain, calm down the signals, and then they start to experience less pain. And then that feeds forward into the belief that they are capable of doing stairs and they are capable of running. And then it gets back into uh, they get back into more and then they're not experiencing pain. And then there's this feed forward um, loop of uh, recovery, which is very tough to do, especially if they've had surgeons, especially if they've had GPs deliver this belief because they seem to be like the, the, you know, the higher ups and like uh, you just listen to everything that they yeah. say. But I've had um, certain, I've had patients who have had a tendinopathy for uh, three years now. And when I was going through her, past history of what belief she has, what stuff she has around um, her tendon pain. Early in her, um, I think a year into her injury, she went and saw a surgeon and the surgeon told her, you can do whatever treatment you want, but it's not going to help because tendons don't heal. You're going to need to come back to me uh, for surgery. And that's the only, the only solution that's going to be done. And everything that he said there is totally false, but that doesn't matter. It's what she believes. And she believed that the entire time. And so two years down the track, uh, what's what she meant to do as soon as we give her some treatment, as soon as she starts running, as soon as she starts doing exercise, she's going to think, look, there's nothing I can do. The tendon's yeah. just going to be damaged um, and I'm going to need surgery. And that's the belief that the brain's created. Yep. So everything that she does is going to produce pain. This is really fucked up. Yeah. Yeah. This is why I love this topic. <laughs> I, and I, everything that you said just resonated so much with what I'm experiencing right now. And we won't, this whole episode won't be about me, but I am going to talk about me but for a little bit. But um, I even, and it's this weird thing though, because like you hear this message from a doctor who's a figure of authority. Mm-hmm. To be like, oh, well, they know more about my body. And they do. Like they know, like I know that doctors know more about science and they know more, more about bodies. 
than I do. So I listen and I, okay, fine. You said to do this. I'll do this. Okay. You said to do this. I'll do this. But it's like, everything's still nothing. Nothing's changing. Nothing. What, like what's going on? And then the next step is like, oh, well, maybe you should get an MRI so that you can take it to the orthopedic surgeon. I'm like, well, I'm not going to go get surgery. So is there anything else that we can talk about? No, that's that's tough, especially when it comes to scans as well and getting MRIs because there is a study out there for low back pain patients and um, they look at whether they – they section people off into a study. So they get a whole bunch of people. I can't remember the size. Let's say they get 500 people with low back pain and they separate them off so that half of them get their, get an X-ray and get their results. And the other half just have education to say, you're going to do these exercises. You're going to get better. Um, yeah. And send them on their way. The other, the other ones get the same advice and say, you're going to get better, but let's just get an X-ray just in case the fact like those those two groups, the ones that don't get the x-ray, they heal in around about four to six weeks. The ones who did get the x-ray, their average recovery time was around six months because only because they have got an x-ray and they have their x-ray results. And doesn't matter what the x-ray shows, they've been shown their results. And for one reason or another, the brain's like, we got an x-ray, this is our back, these are our results. This must be serious. Like we, we need to take this very seriously. And so that fires up the brain. It kind of just like creates this sensitivity. And um, a lot of the times when it comes to MRI results and ultrasound results, um, the, the person who writes the report is they have to write down what they see and they might see disc degeneration. They might see yeah. knee cartilage uh, wear and tear. They might see um, tendon fraying or something like this. And they write everything that they see. Sure. And then people get these reports back and they're like, oh my God, I'm in a lot of danger here. Look at all this damage. Look at all this like grade one tear, grade three osteoarthritis, like early signs of disc degeneration, you know, um, disc herniation, all these sort of things, which if you get any healthy person, it will show exactly the same deficits. Like if you scan all the healthy population, anyone in their thirties, forties, if you scan their back, there will be at least something, some pathology that they'll find there will be early disc degeneration there will be like um early signs of osteoarthritis in every healthy person and so um it's just a bit of arsenal for the brain to to become alert and become sensitive and it's extremely unnecessary and we really need to educate like our gps and our i guess we have to educate our, our surgeons as well to see whatever your symptoms are, does it correlate with what we show on the scans? Like if you have really severe clicking, collapsing knees and um, that's giving way often, and then we do an MRI report and it sees that you've totally ruptured your ACL, that is a direct correlation of what you're experiencing to what the scans show. Let's tell her what we've found. Anything else, let's just not tell her. Don't tell about this early signs, osteoarthritis. Don't tell about early signs of this or grade one this, grade two that. Um, as long as it directly correlates to her symptoms, that's what we should do. But what we're doing is we're just sharing everything and it's just the brain's just like, oh my God, we are weak. We're, we're getting older. We're getting like, we're degenerating. I don't know what to do, but I know exercise won't be good. And yeah, that that's where our beliefs come from. Mm-hmm. That's where our, um, that's where our pain signals go. And that's what the brain evaluates and factors in when it comes to um, producing pain. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Yeah. And even I, I've had that come up too. Like, oh, well your body, you're just older now. This is what your body is like in your late thirties. This is just a part of getting older. But it's like, but Jacqueline, there's like 80 year olds that have run marathons. Like what? So like, and this can't be the, like, this cannot just be it right here, but it is that. And I've heard that from so many people. Oh, I'm just getting older. Sure. I don't like, maybe we don't look like we're the bodies that we had when we were 16, but yeah, this, it, it just seems, it sounds like this over information that we don't really understand kind of like places a lot of fear. And now we're looking at everything with this through this lens of fear and yeah. Yeah. Fear is just, um, like a belief that we have and we can talk about like past experiences as well. Like if you have, if you've damaged your knee, um, running, let's just say you wake up the next morning, you've got a sore knee. If you've had a sore knee in the past, it was took ages and ages to get over. Even if it was on the other side, uh, this is a direct correlation to you being unable to overcome this injury in the, in the future. Like if you have, been, Oh, it's my knee again. Oh, it took so long to overcome last time. Here we go. We're going to go through this again. This is a belief based on a past experience, which is going to be your reality moving forward. If you believe it to be true. The other can be said for, um, like your past experiences with someone else. Like I have a lot of clients come to me with back pain and they say, Oh, look, my dad had back pain for years and years. It was so hard. He like ended up in a wheelchair. Am I going to end up in a wheelchair? Like, and they just amplify this whole, the, the severity side of things. And what's the brain going to think? What's the brain going to evaluate? If you wake up with some low back pain, even if you've had it for a day and, you start creating these thoughts of, oh my God, is this exactly what my dad had? Am I going to have it for four or five years? Am I going to end up in a wheelchair? What What's the brain going to think? And there's no other changes in your pain other than you trying to correlate it with your past experiences and what you've yeah. known in the past and gathering all your beliefs and gather, gathering all the information that you know about low back pain right now. Um, and that's what the brain is going to, want to do they're like don't move you know don't bend forward don't pick up anything you need to brace your core you need to have a stiff back you need to sit up with a really really straight back otherwise you're going to have this for years and years and years and that's where we come to and i know um i shared this on my podcast one of the um the episodes i had with shoulder pain and it took me a long time to overcome and i was getting shoulder pain with playing basketball and I was rehabbing it. I was a physio at the time. So I was rehabbing it as best as I could. And it took about maybe three months to get over. But then um, I was driving in my car, driving home from work. And my mate called me and said, Hey, can you fill in for a game of basketball? And I hadn't played basketball in probably about six weeks at that stage, but knew last time I played basketball, it re-aggravated my shoulder. Mm -hmm. And then here I am driving about a week, pain-free, totally doing everything, doing gym, everything, totally pain-free overcome it then my mate calls me up and says can you feel in for our basketball game tonight and straight away without moving without anything i started experiencing pain in my shoulder and that makes total sense now that i know all about pain science because what the brain is doing is like oh my god last time you did that you experienced shoulder pain let's not do that let's go away from pain let's go away from danger let's go towards pleasure and safety so let's start producing shoulder pain. That's what will make it make the decision of him saying, no, we shouldn't play basketball. Okay. And that's um, the brain smart. The brain does what it does. Yeah. It's, it's there for survival. And uh, they're the thoughts that I've delivered. And that's the, the pain I experienced. Mm-hmm. Yes. This, 
makes so much sense. And, but it's like, yeah, so you're, okay. I'm just trying to, let me say it out loud. This is how I have to process things. So like someone's like, Hey, let's go play basketball. And your brain's like, do, do, do what happened the last time we played basketball? Oh, we got hurt. Okay. Let's produce pain so that he does not go play basketball and get hurt even more. Cause if he gets hurt, like maybe it's the equivalent of a tiger and he dies. And so it's, your brain is trying to keep you safe. But in doing so, you don't go do anything. You just kind of like stay, yeah, stay in your moment, much. stay inactive. Yeah. And then in what I've seen in working with people right now while working from home, it's like, don't go do anything. It's too scary. So stay home and then fall into a depression because you're not doing anything anymore. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, detrimental. It's a detrimental like loop. And it it doesn't like the way we can overcome that is taking gradual steps forward it would be me like um say shooting a basketball 20 times without playing a game and being like hey i got through that totally fine the brain says you can do that now you can do that totally fine and then it would be me like trying to pass a basketball or throw a basketball and do that five times without any pain and say hey we can do that now all we can do is like combine these two things together i can shoot i can pass um how about like rebounding how about like doing things with power how about like all this sort of stuff and doing it in a systematic way in a safe environment yeah. that relays to the brain and relays to yourself and creates the belief that you actually can do it then you start playing a little bit of basketball maybe doing a little bit of practice and all along the way the brain's just like hey this is all right we didn't we survived we didn't have any pain um maybe this is good for us to do and all the while you're actually feeling quite positive like yes i'm getting back to playing basketball yes like this is good like i, I see light at the end of the tunnel i see a plan i have a plan in place i have um I, all i need to do is take these steps and follow this plan and we're we're looking good if it flares up here's a contingency plan in place these are the the countermeasures that we take and it's this process that encourages you, encourages your beliefs, encourages the brain along the way. And if we're talking about a runner, uh, all we do is start with some basic exercises. We start with some calf raises, some squats, some lunges. Hey, how's your knee? Um, it's actually pretty good. Okay, how about we get into hopping? How about we get into just jumping on the spot? Yep. How about we get to walking? How about we get to jogging? And we're just slowly just working our way up, reinforcing along the way that this is totally safe to do. Your knee is actually a really strong joint. Um, if you can do 20 squats with a little bit of weight, you definitely can start some hopping. Oh yeah, that makes a whole lot of sense. And then you just work your way through, rationalize every step that you take, um, recognize that somewhere along that plan, you might start experiencing a little flare up or a little bit of pain, but it's only gonna be a little bit. It's gonna calm down in 24 hours. This is what we're going to do if that happens and just slowly working your way from there um, rather than just being like, Oh, I'll see how I go. Yeah. Okay. I'll go for a run. And then the brain's like, what are you doing? This is way too much. Yep. This is like such a big step um, rather than being like the brain. Look, I can walk for 45 minutes. Look, I can jog for, you know, five minutes. I should be able to at least start some running and take it from there. Yeah. Yeah. So what I'm, I'm hearing so I have this little diagram that I use with people where it's like an iceberg. And at the top of the iceberg is like actions, outcomes. And a lot of times, every time all the physical therapists that I've gone to, like we just keep talking about these actions, do these reps, do these exercises, get this outcome. Your knee's going to be better. Everything's going to be better. But what you're saying, like below the iceberg, there's our beliefs, there's our thoughts and our emotions. And if we don't actually address that, even with running, even with physical therapy, these exercises, if we don't address those things, 
I, Jacqueline, am going to continue to feel pain or fear because that's what kind of where I'm at. Like, like I'm walking around and I'm better, but I'm like still afraid to go running because I'm afraid that I'm going to mess it up again. But you're saying don't go out for a three mile run, go do the, do small things and affirm like everything's fine. You're safe. Everything's fine. It's not going to be an effective management unless we're addressing your beliefs to start with. Like with that lady that I had, um, I was talking about with those years of tendinopathy. If I didn't ask her and I didn't identify that her surgeon told her that tendons don't heal and you need surgery. If I didn't ask her about that and if I didn't uncover that, her management would be so much trickier. Whereas from the get-go, from day one, and that's when I asked her on day one, we can start to calm down her beliefs and start addressing like the reality that yes, tendons do heal. Yes. Um, like surgeons will see surgery, surgery as an option. That's like their main go-to um, for like anyone that comes in to see them. Tendons do heal. Your tendons are actually quite strong. I go through what she was currently doing. She was currently doing gym. She was currently walking long periods of time. She was currently walking without support like support on her shoes. She was doing single leg deadlifts. She was like in the gym and active. I'm like, your tendons are actually quite strong. Your tendons are actually a lot stronger than um, most of the clients that I see. And based on her pain levels, they're quite low. And I'm like, look, with three years of this pain, I'd expect them to be somewhere around the one or two out of 10 pain anyway. Like this is actually quite a good sign and just calming down her beliefs the entire time and trying to educate her with the proper the proper tools and the, the the right advice and a lot of misconceptions out there that I need to, or as runners, we need to ask ourselves, like one of some of the main ones is people think they get injured because they have flat feet because they've been to a health professional and they've seen, Oh, you have, you overpronate, which is a term we should just abolish straight away. Um, and they say, you have flat feet, you need orthotics or else you, your feet are going to collapse in, your knees going to collapse in, your hips are going to fall out of place, your back's going to fall out of place and you're going to get injured. Like it's just, uh, if you are told that, what's your brain going to think as soon as you start running without orthotics? And that's when all this pain starts arising when in fact, there's a whole bunch of evidence to show that people with pronated feet actually don't get injured as much as people with neutral feet or like high pronated, uh, high arch style feet. There's no correlation between foot type and injury occurrence. And there's no science to say that if you have flat feet, you need orthotics or you need a supportive shoe. And this is one of the reasons of uh, my podcast. The podcast is designed to try and break down all these misconceptions that runners have and using science and using the current literature and interviewing researchers just to break down this. And so this is what the science shows. And when you are injured, this is what the research shows for you to get better because there's a lot of misconceptions and all of those misconceptions that you believe is just a bit of information for the brain to, um, to recognize and inaccurately kind of determine a a pain output or your ability to recover. Because again, if you think one leg's longer than the other, if you think your hips are out, your back's out, if you think your feet are collapsing, they are really disempowering beliefs because you can't do anything about it. You really can't do anything about it. And it's, 
inaccurate. It's not true that all of these things will cause injury, but if you believe it and there's nothing you can do about it, then you're always going to be injured because the brain's going to be like, oh, you're stupid body. You've got one leg longer than the other. How are we meant to do all this stuff when you've got one leg longer than the other? And that's um, where we end up today. Yeah. That, that message that like, oh my gosh, why is your body always broken? Why are you always yeah. getting hurt? And it's because like, health professionals, like there's certain health professionals that want you to keep coming back, that want you to have orthotics and buy all these expensive stuff and have this treatment and keep coming back. And I see a lot of health professionals like here in Melbourne, they're like, your hips are out of line. Let me adjust you. Let me correct you. But you probably need to come back in two more in two weeks' time because you're going to fall back out of alignment. Let me correct you again in two weeks and we'll keep it going on from there. It's extremely disempowering because you can't do anything about it. You can't adjust yourself. You can't correct yourself. But if you were to go to another therapist to say, you know what, there's no science to show that someone who has one hip higher or one leg longer than the other is any correlation to any injury. There is a, um, they did look at lower leg um imbalance there is a study out there um, with quite a substantial like sample size and they had a look at um, people with leg length differences and about 85 to 90 percent of the population out there have one leg longer than the other and with that um, they show that most of them are around um, between two to five mil difference and in order for the one leg longer than the other to have any biomechanical difference for you to run differently. It needs to be 20 mil difference. And the amount of people that have 20 mil difference is like less than 1%. And so all these people that have been told they've got one leg longer than the other, congratulations, you're a part of the 90% of the people that are out there. And there is no science to show that uh, unless you are excessive, like unless you have a two centimeter difference, which is enormous, um, you're, you're going to be totally fine. Mm-hmm. So is that, so you hear things like my legs are different lengths. Um, I have flat feet. And so these, these things that are wrong with your body and that's why you're producing pain. You hear a lot of that from people. That they're the beliefs that people have established through what they've been told in the past, through what they've read in blogs, through what they've heard on, um, what they Googled. And, uh, they've been told that if you have flat feet, you need orthotics, you need supportive shoes, you need, um, yeah, you need all these interventions. Otherwise, it's going to increase your likelihood of injury and it's just not the case. And similar to um, leg length discrepancy, people say, yeah, I know I've got knee pain, but that's only because one leg's longer than the other and it throws me out when I run. And again, not true. Mm-hmm. Oh, my my head hurts thinking about Back all when it's of tough, this. I know, this is life. <laughs> And having to like, well, and also like for myself too, like just having to go back and unpack everything that is whirling around in my head right now about everything, Mm. because I do feel like every time I'm going to see a different specialist, it's a different message. Like it's something, it's something different. And it's like who, or if you Google knee pain, blah, blah, blah. It's like, again, everyone has like, Oh, you should do this. And some of them are bloggers that may not have like, you know, not a specialty, but some of them are like people who, figures of authority, people that have degrees, certifications. And so it's, um, how did you get into all of this? <laughs> how, yeah. how, like they what? <laughs> they don't really teach you this at uni, which is yeah. really tough. They kind of briefly touch on it. Like neuroplasticity, which is the brain that changes Love. itself. That book mm-hmm. is, um, they did teach us very, very briefly in uni, but it doesn't really look at pain science in the way that a runner would understand or like a practical sort of situation. 
but there is a book called explain pain, um, which is extremely helpful for any runner or anyone experiencing pain right now to just have a look at and um, have a read through. It's designed for the general population. There's no technical jargon or anything like that. And uh, it will explain like if a, if a uh, say a violin player, if they get a bee sting on their uh, finger compared to a soccer player who gets a bee sting on their finger, the person who plays the violin will experience more pain because it means more to them than a soccer player. The soccer player runs and kicks and uses their, their legs for the majority of the time. They don't really need a finger, but a, a, a pro violinist, they need their fingers to work. It's their career. It's their livelihood. It's their identity. Then they get a bee sting on their finger and they're like in excruciating pain because it just means so much more to them. Um, and so these little experiences occur in every pain signal in everything like that. So it explains a few steps and some practical things for you to take away. Like you're talking about when you see a whole bunch of health professionals or doctors and it's a different message every single time, there's some practical steps in there for people with chronic pain. And it'd be one, make sure that when you go to a, a consult with someone, make sure that you're asking them questions around, okay, is, is what we're doing uh, evidence-based is there any validity? Is there like a, a scientific approach that we're taking? You need to ask that, but then you also need to walk away with hundred percent clarity of all their answers. Uh, they tend to throw some medical mumbo jumbo at you and you kind of, you ask all the questions, but then you still walk away really confused. And what I like to do at the end of all of my sessions be like, is there any other questions that you have? Is there any other clarifications you need because if you walk away puzzled and you ask all the questions but they come back with a really scientific response that goes right over your head that's just as um, ineffective as not asking the question in the first place and so make sure you're asking okay is this evidence-based make sure we're seeing if it's um, there's any rationale for doing it make sure you have all the clarity make sure you have an action plan in place like I was explaining with those really small steps along the way towards your goal make sure you're addressing not only the physical component, but also the mental, the psychosocial, like making sure you're feeling better about yourself. I have a lot of people with plantar fasciitis and high hamstring tendinopathy, and they're trying to get back to running. But then I delve into other aspects of their life and they're struggling to sit. They're struggling to stand still. They're struggling to walk at their work. And so we're trying to address not only the running, but the, the lifestyle as well, because that's where the, the mental anxiety and where all the depression stuff starts to kick in as soon as it starts to affect their day-to-day -day life. So make sure your action plan contains those and make sure your action plan contains something that empowers you and has all the education you can take away and do this all yourself. If a health professional just says, yes, you need shockwave, you need um, acupuncture, you need massage, but that's all you need. And it's all just hands-on, hands-on, hands-on. You're taking all of your power away and putting your power into this health professional Whereas all the, all you're doing is just relying on that therapist and you're relying to just go back to them for the answers and go back to them for pain relief. Um, so what a really effective management plan would be, yes, do all those hands-on stuff, but we're slowly taking away the manual therapy and implementing some really uh, powerful strategies that you can use yourself. You can use at home. You can do this return to run plan you can do all these exercises you can do all these things yourself so that you're establishing all this um all these strategies and empowering yourself because you can do it yourself and that's what the like if you recognize that you believe that you have the capability of healing yourself then the brain's going to be like yes we can do this and it's going to be a, a better way forward
Yeah. Yeah. So this sounds like go see the expert for help and they can teach you what to do, but it is, but like taking on that responsibility, empowering yourself instead of just, oh my gosh, I have to go to the expert every two weeks. I have to go. I don't know anything about my, my, my body. Yeah, and just be a little bit skeptical and just have your alarm bells going if they say things like your hips are out of line, you need an adjustment, you need to come see me um, just for this manual therapy every two weeks for you to get better. Um, Make sure you're asking the right questions. Make sure you're asking, okay, is there anything I can do at home? Is there anything I can, yeah. And if they're not, maybe they're not the right therapist for you. And if you go to another one, say, look, this is the experience I had last time. Um, This is this is what I want. I want a management that I can do myself as well. Um, can you help me out here? And these are the steps that we take. Cause like I said, we don't learn this stuff at uni and it's easy to fall into the telling people these false beliefs um, because some people believe it to be true as well because they see it. Like I know if, um, if I was to graduate from podiatry school and I was to see all these amazing effects that orthotics have on people and see all the the good it's doing. And then you see someone with collapsing feet, you're going to feed into your own belief as well that they need orthotics and this is what they need. And because it just makes sense that if their knees collapsing or their foot's collapsing, then their knees going to be out of aligned. And this is the stuff that they're higher, um, their bosses and they're like, they've learned all this at uni. So they instill in their beliefs as well, but they do need to be evidence-based. They do need to read the current literature and we have an obligation as health professionals to make sure that we're keeping up with our standards. Um, but sometimes it's not their fault. Sometimes they fall into this pattern. Sometimes they fall into what their colleagues are doing. Sometimes they fall into what their bosses are doing and it's very hard to break away from that. So um, yeah, be, keep in, keep an open mind, be a bit skeptical, um, ask the right questions and yeah, it's just going to help you in the long run. Yeah. Yeah. So what does it look like? With online programming with you, obviously you will not be, (laughs) you're in Australia, we're here in the States um, and it's COVID, but what does it look like uh, working with you? Yeah. So um, if someone wants, if someone is injured and someone needs to overcome their injury, reach out to me, see if they're appropriate for online physio. Mm -hmm. Most of them are. Like I said, the the hands-on stuff, um, most runners that come to see me, they're in the chronic phase, they've had this injury for three months, four months, five months plus, which is very, very common for a lot of people. But like I said, we're out of that acute phase. And when you're out of that acute phase, you don't need the hands-on stuff. You need the, the education, you need the empowering, the, you need the running programs, you need the right advice, you need to break down the misconceptions, you need the right education. A lot of my work that I do is educating the person on the right things to do. Then I implement some strength programs, easily give them some strength exercises online. They can easily send me videos of them doing those exercises so I can make sure they're doing them correctly. Mm -hmm. And then all the way along the way, we're saying, okay, after your run today, how is your pain levels? Oh, that's actually really good. Even though it's not zero, this is what we're aiming for. How'd you feel the next morning? Fantastic. Let's do this run next. And the way I've built my business model is people jump online for an appointment, they either get one week of physio or one month of physio. And depending on that time frame, um, throughout that whole time, we're constantly one-on-one messaging, just like sending videos, photos, updating yep. your exercises, updating your running program. Um, if you wake up one morning with a particular flare-up, send me a message, send, give me a call, all that sort of stuff. We talk your way through it. So it's almost like coaching throughout that whole 
time and I'm just like the, um, I'm just there at your beck and call, like, you know, with you along the whole way, instead of just, okay, here are your exercises. Here's some advice. Here's some stretches. I'll see you in a week's time. And then there's just a disconnect in that time, which is what your traditional um, therapy kind of looks like. But like I said, there's a lot of evidence to, um, especially when it gets into the chronic phase of things, a lot of evidence to show that the manual therapy side of things, the adjustments, the mobilizations, the massage, all of that is extremely ineffective. What is effective, what is evidence-based is having the right education, having the right management plan in place, having the right strengthening exercises, like strength, rehab, all these sort of things are gold standard when it comes to overcoming these injuries. And yeah, that's exactly what online physio can do. But if there is someone who does need hands-on work, if I do see them for a consult and straight away you can say that they're not appropriate, maybe there's some red flags, maybe there's a fracture that they haven't identified. Um, if there's any sort of um, any kind of, if I think that any of that's going on, I say, look, we when might not be appropriate for online physio right now. You need scans or you need to go see your local health professional. I'll send them a, I'll send the health professional a handover, an email to say what's going on with them and what they need. Um, that way they're not getting this. Um, they're not seeing a health professional that's going to tell them all these false beliefs and that sort of stuff. So they get my insight <laughs> handover as well. And um, yeah, I just give them a refund. I say, you're not appropriate for online physio right now. Go see your um, local health professional down the track. Maybe you might need online physio. Let me know. And um, that's kind of, very reassuring for people um, to know that if they're not appropriate, then they're going to be handled uh, appropriately. And yeah, that's where that fits right in um, what feels good for me and serving the runners, which is my overall goal anyway. That's amazing. I love that. I think that that's a big thing too of like, I, I, well, I'm feeling this right now with myself. It's like, oh my gosh, I keep spending money on this thing and it never gets better. It's like, there's this hesitation to go, Am I going to go see another person? Like what if this doesn't work out? And I, I hear that with people working with me as well. It's like, there's again, like I've tried these things. I'm just not sure. Like, am I throwing money at something and it's not going to work? And it's scary. Um, but it's nice to feel that trust. Yeah. Yeah. And one of the the initial steps that I get runners to do is listen to the podcast, like go back to season one. The first 10 episodes are all these like universal principles that any runner needs to know to overcome their injury. And it breaks down a lot of myths, breaks down a lot of misconceptions, a lot of beliefs that people have and gets them on the right foot in order to take the right steps to make sure that they are implementing the right things. I get so many emails and so many Facebook messages from the Facebook group being like, you're, podcast episodes have helped me make the right decisions moving forward. Like I now know that foam rolling is BS. I now know that I shouldn't be stretching this particular injury because that would cause more pain. I now know that I should do this. And when I see my therapist, I now know the right questions to ask because it's tough. It's tough to, if I go to a dentist, I know nothing about dentistry and I just don't even know the right questions to ask because you're not educated enough. You don't have that that level of education or sophistication to have a reasonable conversation, but the podcast helps address these terms with runners. So they have the right questions to ask so that they can put themselves on a better foot to start with. I'm like a little scared now because you've said things where I'm like, uh, um, hold on. Hips are out of line and need readjustment. Yes. I've been told that 
Um, my glutes don't fire. Yes. Oh, uh, yes. Foam, foam roll. Like, I'm like, what? Like, what the fuck? What? Like, my mind is broke. What? Yeah. yeah. Glutes. Oh, it's so common. And <laughs> people saying that your this is happening because your glutes don't fire. It should just be abolished as well. It should be abolished with overpronation. It should be abolished with one leg's longer than the other or hits are out of line because your glutes fire. Your glutes, you, you have a severe, like, um, neurological condition if your glutes aren't firing it's a very derogatory term that is extremely disempowering and I have a lot of runners come to me and say look I've been told in the past that my glutes aren't firing but look this is what I'm doing I'm trying to run and I'm trying to engage my glutes every step that I take to to know if they're firing or to to feel that they're firing and I'm still not sure but what do you think and they look at their running and they're completely fine if anything they're too robotic because they're thinking about engaging yeah. their glutes the whole entire time when all it takes is to do a simple single leg squat or like a hop and see what their hips are doing and say your glutes are firing like you're, you're not collapsing yeah. you're, you're staying upright um, you're totally fine your glutes and your hips might be weak that's mm-hmm. that's a better terminology to say because what I like the terminology that I use and the power that health professionals use is can be super effective or super ineffective. If you say tendons never heal, just those words are just so create so much power and so much belief for someone. So if I'm reframing, if they've been told their glutes don't fire, if I reframe that to say, look, we know that people get injured, especially around the hips and knees. If they're, um, if you exceed the capacity of what you're capable of, so your hips are at a certain strength right now, you've exceeded your running mileage or your speed or your terrain. Um, you've exceeded the capacity that is beyond the strength of your hips. So right now your hips have the inability to do that certain amount. Um, so all they are is a little bit weak, a little bit deconditioned right now. We're just going to do a whole bunch of strengthening exercises to build up the strength around the hips and then slowly get you back into what you're capable of doing. So we're building up that tolerance, building up the tolerance more and more and more until we get to the point where you're running at your desired um, goal. And if I reframe that, if I use that language in that, those terms, apart from saying your glutes aren't firing, we need to do this because they're not firing. And, um, and yeah, yeah, you, we just need to do a ton of glute work because we need to switch them back on just, just those terms. You're just like, well, how do you, if, if they're not, if they're not firing then like I'm just des- like, I'm doomed. Uh, this is, this is the end. Yeah. Yeah. It just, so it sounds like, and I feel like this, I've heard this from people like, like I'm just broken. My body's broken. My body always gets hurt. And then just constantly hearing other people and then catching that. Like, Oh, you said this, that must mean that must be support for this belief that I have. This may be more evidence for my body is broken. I will always be hurt. This, this just, it's just what yeah, happens to it's, me. It's gathering evidence because the brain, the brain thinks, oh, look, you're broken. Of course you're going to get injured. You're going for a 60-minute run on a broken body. Um, are you crazy? Yeah. Let's, and then it's going to be like, okay, what, what pain signal should we send to tell them that we shouldn't be running? Oh, let's go to the knee um, because that will really get them to, to stop because they've had knee pain in the past. That will definitely get them to stop running. So let's send it that way because how dare she try and run on a broken body? That's just ludicrous. Yeah. Oh man. Okay. I'm going to link all of the, the good podcast episodes in this one. This is amazing. Cool. I want to hear before we stop, what, what does running look like for you right now? Um, what do you, uh, I'm, well, I'm in lockdown at the moment and so no races are going on and stuff like that, 
but you guys um, go outside we can so we've limited well, well there's no races going on no races. Uh, sure. we did limit you were only allowed to go outside once in the day um and you were only allowed to exercise for one hour or like go outside for one hour so oh um if i went out um to take the dog for a walk and then i come back i'm not allowed to go out running or go out cycling but that's been lifted last week so we're allowed it's been extended to two hours over two sessions now so that's great but um i'm loving my running at the moment i've been pain-free for maybe about five months something like that um and absolutely blessed absolutely like i'm i'm grateful every day that I don't have any symptoms and I can just go out and enjoy running, enjoy nature. I probably run around probably three times a week around about six to eight Ks or like maybe five miles, something like that. Um, just love it. Taking nature. I, I bike ride, I do gym, I stay active like most days of the week. And, um, yeah, one thing I, I teach my runners to do is just practice gratitude when you're not injured. I do have a podcast episode as well, where I talk through my whole, um, my whole experience of overcoming six years of tendinopathy. I just decided to do all the right things and pay attention to all that. And I just documented it along the way. Um, so yeah, since then I've just been blessed being pain-free symptom-free ever since. And yeah, loving life. That's amazing. I love that. It's a good thing to remember too. Like there's, it can feel really chaotic with everything happening in the world, but like to be able to express gratitude and enjoy nature and enjoy being in your body and enjoy the few things that you're able to do. That sounds so peaceful. Yeah. The only, like, it's only once we're injured that we look back and be like, Oh, I, yeah. I can't believe I took it for granted being pain free and being symptom free. I was doing what I loved and I didn't even recognize it. And it's only once you're injured that you go back and you think, man, um, yeah. And runners are really tough on themselves as well. And sometimes I say to runners, what are your goals? And they say, I just want to run pain-free. And then within a couple of weeks we're working together and they're running pain-free. I'm like, you're running pain-free. How good's that? And they're like, yeah, I know, but like, it's only five Ks or like, you know, but I, I feel really unfit when I, it's pain-free, but I feel really unfit when I'm running. And they don't yeah. celebrate it. It's like celebrate the, the, the small wins along the way. And like, learn to love life instead of just going from one thing to another because runners are super harsh on themselves. And um, when you finally reach a goal, you work so hard and you grind it out and you really work hard to a certain goal. And then when you finally get there, you just constantly think about the next thing and you don't take the time to celebrate and recognize and be grateful and um, move on to the next thing. And so one thing I need to tell and remind a lot of people is celebrate, celebrate the small wins. It's good. Like, you know, think about all the stuff that you have rather than what you don't have. Think about all the things that you can control rather than can't control. And like, yes, yeah, start to appreciate all these things. That's amazing. I love that. Thank you. So if people want to connect with you, where are the best places they can find you? So, um, I do like the first step is usually go to the podcast, have a listen to the podcast. Yeah. So it's called the run smarter podcast. You'll mm -hmm. learn a ton of stuff that way. You'll learn a lot of misconceptions. Go back to season one to start with, listen to the first 10 episodes before you start scrolling through all the other episodes that are relevant to you early in the uh, podcast. There are those three pain science episodes. So, um, if you want to learn more about that, uh, and then it's just natural extensions. My podcast website is called runsmarter.online. Um, if people wanted to look at online physio, it's called breakthroughrunning.physio is my website for that. Um, but yeah, start at the podcast. And then if you want to reach out and say hi or have any other questions, um, just let me know on social media. Wonderful. Thank you so much. You're welcome, Jacqueline. Hey, it's just Jacqueline, which 
funny enough, was the name of the first blog that I wrote back in high school. Anywho, I wanted to check in with you. We're about halfway through October. 2020 has been quite the year. Um, let's check in. Are you doing these things? Are you waking up just minutes before your workday starts, opening your computer and already feeling rushed and overwhelmed by the day? Um, some days, are you not talking to any humans, uh, just seeing a lot of pseudo humans on all of your different screens, your television, your iPad, your computer, your phone, maybe you're struggling to eat healthy, you're struggling to get moving, you know all of the things, like you know what it means to eat healthy, you know what it means to exercise, you know how to do these things, but you just cannot seem to get yourself going anymore. And then are you doing the good old thing, <laughs> saying mean things in your head, those thoughts coming up, like why can't you just get it together? What's wrong with you? Why do you keep doing this? And you keep finding that talking to yourself this way isn't actually doing anything to make you feel better. If this is you, if that's your work from home life, I want you to keep listening. Um, I have the work from home success system. This is a four week coaching program where you and I work together to set up life while at home in a way that helps you feel good, not gross. You are going to be at home for, I mean, we don't know. We have no idea how long life is going to be like this. And if you have suffered most of 2020, now would be about, about the time to say, hey, I need to reach out for help. I need to do something differently because what I've been doing has not worked. Um, I want to share with you some results, a testimonial from my super cool client, Hannah. So Hannah says, Jacqueline has helped me transform my life. She taught me to change my habits by taking baby steps, go from A to B, not A to Z. When the pandemic started, I was dealing with stress. I was dealing with my stress with a couple glasses of wine every day and taking a nap when the day became unbearable. Jacqueline taught me how to build a morning routine. It started with just a little bit of journaling and moving my body for 15 minutes over the last six months. My morning routine has evolved into a 20-minute workout, feel-good journaling, 10 minutes of reading, five minutes of meditation. It all feels so good. I love waking up in the morning now. Jacqueline's approach is unmatched. She is my self-care guru. She is there day-to-day -to, -day to guide me um, and encourage me, and I continue to build more and more habits. I don't need wine to cope with my stress, my daily stress anymore, although I still have some. Now I cope by spending time in my garden that Jacqueline inspired me to build and by moving my body. So Hannah has saw immense success just by doing these small things finding ways that she can feel good and not gross, building things up so that she can be proactive and not just reactive to the things that are happening um, in her life and on the news. And we know that the next month, the, the next month and a half is going to be super stressful uh, with the election and just so many things being thrown away. Now would be a great time to get started with the work from home success system. So again, this is a four week coaching program. The investment is $44. I know it's crazy, but this is going to help you get started so that you can feel good, not gross as we close out 2020. How to get started with this. You can go to the link in the show notes or you can go to www.imperfecteating.com. So click the link in the show notes or go to www.imperfecteating.com to find out more about the work from home success system and register. I cannot wait to meet you. Let's get this going. I will chat with you soon. Have a good day.